Hello and welcome to Tools in the Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guide, ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James, and with me is Deputy News Editor Justin. Hello. And staff journalist Tom. Hey. This week we're looking at half price heroes, affordable used alternatives for the new cars you want. We'll run our eye over some recent entrants to the Cars Guide Garage and we'll check in with an unexpectedly sharp billionaire movie critic in this week's Must Watch, so stay with us. But first of all, we have had some feedback, and last week we were talking about the best SUVs coming for 2021. We picked a half a dozen. Um, Greg Burville had a comment. Uh, We touched on Mitsubishi at one point. said he loves the podcast, but he had to correct us on Mitsubishi's 10-year warranty, and Justin, this is one I think you're well-placed to comment on. Um, Yes, so if you have your new Mitsubishi serviced by a third party, you get a five-year, 100,000-kilometer mm. warranty. Uh, authorised Mitsubishi dealer, you get 10 years, 200,000. Um, I think he's 100% correct, isn't he? Yeah, that's right. So this, the standard warranty, so to say, hasn't changed. It's still five years, 100,000 kilometers. The only difference is if you take Mitsubishi up on their offer for 10 years of cap price servicing, which is a new program as well, um, you can get up to 10 years slash 200,000 kilometers of warranty, whichever comes first. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's not your traditional standard, well, it's not a standard warranty at all. It's it's an extended warranty with conditions uh, yeah. attached to it. So yeah, you just got to service it uh, through Mitsubishi using cap price servicing and uh, yeah, you can get 10 years. Which is interesting, I think, because we were touching on last week the number of 10-year-old cars that you had seen an authorised dealership being serviced, they'd be yeah. on the ground. So it, it is just trying to keep that service throughput um, in yeah. their dealer network, I'm sure. Absolutely. And one other interesting thing about it is it is a transferable warranty too. So assuming that you bought that car as new and let's say you're five years in and you've been servicing it through Mitsubishi as part of the cap price servicing and then you do move to sell it, uh, that second owner can then take up the next five years of warranty again, so long as they continue gotcha. to service it through it brings, uh, brings a whole new meaning to uh, making sure that you've got a logbook, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes t- 10 years warranty sounds pretty appealing, but yeah, obviously you've got to do certain uh, things to actually get it in the first place. Yeah, because there's often a kind of urban myth that if you don't have your car serviced at the dealership, you'll void your warranty, which is not true. So long as you... Yeah. You have your car serviced and uh, by a recognised service outlet and the book is stamped and whatever, typically mm. warranty will be recognised. Um, but, yeah, it's pretty compelling and we'll see how it goes. Um, yep. Peter Crott uh, said, Richard, who was with us in the podcast last week, uh, forgot about uh, the best-selling Ford SUV when he was saying that they basically have none um, besides the new Puma. That's uh, the Escape, of course, um, and it's a car, new model coming soon, and he said, pretty sure that's worth a mention. And Bertie came in and said, Escape, the Pina Colada song, which, um, it, which is technically the name for Rupert Holmes' uh, song, the Pina Colada, and those on YouTube will see some vision of what I discovered is an incredibly daggy guy who sang that song. I always expected some kind of um, smooth-voiced uh, Lothario. He's definitely not that. Reminds me of Kenny Everett for those old enough to remember him. Um, and DeCook came in and said it was at last year's Frankfurt show where he saw it. Um, stylish, practical, and pity it's so delayed, but mail is it's this month, um, we'll be staring down the launch of that car and with a plug-in hybrid um, option as well. So it's going to be a really interesting offering. Yeah, Escape's incredibly important for Ford, particularly given the recent success of RAV4 Hybrid. I mean, I know 
uh, it's it's plug-in versus self-charging, but still, you know, having that hybrid mid-size SUV option in your lineup is pretty important. But r- unlike Rav4, though, with Escape, off the top of my head, I believe it's only one uh, plug-in hybrid variant, and it's a it's a flagship one too. So you know, you're talking right. about a near right. sixty thousand dollar car. So it's not as if you have that breadth of of yes. a hybrid range that um, Toyota does in terms yeah. of having something more affordable. Well, and the taste for plug-in just isn't there still. Um, you know, you look at, we look at the numbers every month and it's just, you know, plug-in hybrid variants don't even register. Yes, yes. I mean, the, the non-plug-in hybrid, the kind of engine doing the work and, and what yeah. have you, seems to be the more palatable stepping stone at this point. I think you're right. But for what it's worth, I really like a plug-in hybrid. Um, mm. uh, I think I'm at that point where, yeah, that seems like the next, a really good next step. But anyway, that's just me. It's a really tough one, isn't it? Because, it, it, like, how do you convince people of that? I understand that, you know, it seems like you've got one foot in one technology and one foot in the other, and I, I can un- and they're expensive, which doesn't help. Um, but, yeah, every time I drive one, I enjoy it. And there are really, really notable benefits. Like, you know, with uh, I, I think I had a Hyundai Ionic uh, last year, and that was the plug-in, plug-in hybrid version. You could get almost like 1,200 Ks of range yeah. before you needed to refuel if you had a full battery and full tank of fuel. So, I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. But, but the thing is with plug-in hybrids, and this is where plug-in hybrid owners, current ones, struggle as well, is actually remembering to charge the battery because mm-hmm. it's so easy to get in, right? Pick it up from the dealership with a full battery, and let's say it gives you that... 30 to 50 k's of electric only range which is typical at the moment once that's depleted you're back on the engine again and you're no different to any other internal combustion car until you charge it and so you have to get into that habit because unlike a full ev where you can't drive it if it's not charged uh plug-in you can yeah, uh, great point. which is why yeah. i think toyota's solution at the moment is is great for right now because it's foolproof you don't have to think about it it is self-charging and in terms of real world fuel economy uh, in terms of people actually using it for its intended purpose, you're probably better off just driving a regular hybrid at the moment, even though a plug-in has better um, capability, but people just aren't harnessing that capability at the moment. You definitely yeah. are. And um, that brings up another one I drove recently, the uh, Mercedes-Benz GLC 300E. Um, I couldn't charge it because the the um, Type 2 to Type 2 charging cable, which I would have needed to charge it at my local shopping centre, um, is a 500 and something dollar extra part Option. so yeah. yeah and it didn't come with our press car so um i had nowhere to charge it because i've just got a you know a unit parking spot so yeah. um the problem became uh you're actually lugging around the battery so the fuel usage is terrible <laughs> if you just drive it around on the engine all the time you really really mm-hmm. really do need to charge them um point. great point yeah 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 now um stewie gb um coming at us from new zealand which automatically means he's a great bloke um, he says, love your work, as always, team. Uh, it's our, his default lawn mowing podcast. So that's nice to know. He's out there uh, cutting the grass and listening to us. Um, and he's noticed some significant differences in vehicle prices between Australia and New Zealand. And he calls out the Hilux SR5 4x4 Auto. It's just under 54 grand in New Zealand, but it's just under 64 grand um, in Australia. Um, so that's interesting. And the SR5 Cruiser, similar to the Rogue, um, is fifty eight nine ninety, so nearly fifty nine grand. It's seventy four thousand dollars in Australia. Yet the other way round, um, the Kia Sorento is between sixty and just under eighty thousand dollars in New Zealand, and it's forty seven to let's call it sixty five mm. in Australia. And he says that's odd. But 
I suppose it's just like any foreign market. There are going to be different regimes of import duty. Um, there yeah. could be locally levied tax, uh, taxes and, and what have you. And the spec yeah. may vary a little bit as well. But still, they're pretty solid uh, differences, I've got to say, mm. uh, for, for just a trip across the Tasman. Yeah, I guess it's never going to be apples for apples with that type of thing. I mean, I quite often look at the uh, US market and how cheap a 911 is there. Like, it's, I think it's like 70,000 Australian dollars or something like that. But again, they're not equivalent because we might pay 250,000 Australian dollars in Australia. But again, there are all the taxes and and all that kind of stuff import and, and what have you to consider. So it's, it's it's hard to compare, really. Yeah, it is. It is. I um, mean, as a general rule of thumb, sometimes those premium cars in the States are roughly half the price. Um, yeah. of, of Australia. It's about half, yeah. And I'd say as well, you know, you're in New Zealand, you can you have access to a giant catalogue of really cool Japanese domestic stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, the grey market was humming there in the 90s. There are, mm-hmm. there are a lot of great cars, you're right. Uh, well, yeah, you find yourself just scar- uh, car spotting left, right and centre um, in New Zealand. There's so much interesting um, stuff out there on the roads. Now, Brian Kay came at us and said uh, and, and challenged our contention that the Everest wasn't comfortable. He says... And Everest isn't comfortable, reality detached. Um, he said he bought one because they're so comfortable. Um, his wife has uh, severe sciatica and couldn't sit in any vehicle for more than an hour or so without lots of back pain until uh, they climbed into the Everest. And um, he says he rarely responds to anything online, but this can't go unchallenged. <laughs> BS first class. Um Yep, Senior Bob, those blokes should not comment on something they obviously know nothing about. And we'll get to Senior Bob shortly. He gave us some fairly pointed feedback um, a little later. Uh, but then Brian Kay says, sorry for all the typos. And that's, that's okay, Brian, so long as we get the, uh, so long as we get the message. Um, then Senior Bob's first comment was along similar lines. Um, Everest is based on a ute, so it's not comfortable. Nah, only the front half is ranger. The rear has coils. And, of course, he's right. Uh, he says, duh. Um, and it's very comfortable. Um, he had a 2016 Titanium, uh, four new cars ago, so he obviously cycles through the cars pretty quickly. Noosa to Sydney, 10 hours and a bit, with three stops for my little dog to pee. Cap- all caps, very comfy. Everest is brilliant, but bring on the Bronco, please. Um, I would just like to read a quote from a Cars Guide journalist uh, reviewing the Everest Titanium in April 2020. Um, could be me. Uh, saying... Weighing in at 2,446 kilograms, the Everest Titanium is a big bus, and if you're coming out of a conventional car, be prepared to feel that mass behind the wheel. In that context, it'll feel a bit wobbly and bumpy, but relative to other large mainstream seven-seat SUVs, the Everest sits near the top of the pyramid for ride comfort. So I'm just putting it out there. And various other authors on Cars Guide have recognised that the um, that the Everest is pretty good in terms of the comfort. So maybe we're a bit off off target last week. Thank you very much for the feedback to those guys. Now, in general, Hammer Rocks has come at us on the naming of cars. We touched on this briefly too. And he says Raptor, Wild Truck, Wild Track, Rugged X, Rogue, Warrior, Thunder, Storm, and there's actually a Mako Hilux in New Zealand. Um, he gets why these macho names are out there. It's to be masculine. You want Apex Predators to be, you know, on, on your cars, etc. Um, and something that sounds cool, but he's drawn more to uh, Japanese names from times past, like the Nissan Fair Lady and the Sylvia and Cedric and Gloria, of course, which uh, all of those put me in mind of a Noel Coward play um, every time I hear those. But uh, Subaru, of course, with their last ute in Australia, was called the Brumby. 
Um, and he is pushing for a Hilux Wombat, a Ranger Bilby, a Navara Quokka, a D-Max Black Emu, or a Triton Bandicoot. And he says, come on, uh, car marketing departments, be brave. And I reckon that would be amazing. Because um, you've, <laughs> you've also got the platypus, wallaby, echidna, um, on it goes, uh, to play with as well. I, I think it's, it's kind of out there, but I reckon there's some, uh, some legs in that. Right. Wasn't the um, Isuzu MUX in Japan at one point called the Multiple Utility Wizard or, some, or something oh, to that effect? Right. Well, invariably, those names do have some kind of obscure meaning. Yeah, I don't know. I, I seem to remember something like that. Uh, I'm sure someone of the comments will correct me, but um, yeah. or yeah. maybe it was a slightly different model, but it had a ridiculous name at one point. So you've got to be I careful what you wish for when it comes to the Japanese market. MR2 was initially midship runabout two-seat specialty. That's where um, yeah. MR2 comes from. <laughs> but it'd be good to get people's thoughts on whether we should go Aussie uh, Fauna. Aussie Fauna for some, for some car names and see if you're on board with Hammer Rocks. Um, Bertie said, I like the idea of a Tesla Model 3. Once the feds provide some incentives, of which there are none at the moment, he's absolutely right, in Australia. Uh, however, Musk's attitude to COVID-19 and his views on vaccinations tempted, tempered my interest, which um, leads us to Senior Bob's second uh, piece of feedback. And he said, stick to cars. You blokes are good at it. But you have no idea what's happening with COVID-19. Musk knows. Have a look at Craig Kelly, who, for those outside of Australia, is a federal uh, coalition MP, sometimes outspoken on these matters, on, on Facebook. Um, and he told us about a Lancet article that was withdrawn, and I believe it was dealing with the efficacy or otherwise of hydroxychloroquine. Um, he adds that we'll be watching Trump win the US election easily. Um, and then a lot of the narrative that we have swallowed will be unraveled. And he talked about uh, the CDC, which is the US um, Centre for Disease Control, um, had to withdraw their claim that over 200,000 people had died of COVID-19 in the US and revised that down to 9,000. So that's an interesting fact. Thank you, Senior Bob. And he says, again, stick to cars. Our political comments make us look stupid and ignorant. And I would say we don't need political views to do that, uh, Bob. That's, that's kind of a given. That's cost of entry for this podcast. But hey, guys. Producer here, uh, just really quick note out there for anyone, unlike Senior Bob, who is interested in these guys' political opinions, uh, stay tuned for our upcoming political podcast, Tools in the Senate. Cheers, guys. <laughs> but, but Senior Bob says, I do enjoy your show every Friday. Stick to cars, boys. Um, but according to Brian Kay, we don't know much about that either, so I don't know where to go. But Stewie GB said, Senior Bob, you need to lay off the drugs, Chief, um, in response on YouTube. So that was Stewie's thoughts. Adam Gill says, Elon for a knighthood. And now this name, I'm going to crush this. Bayudiki uh, Wajaya Tilake uh, says, what a waste of time. The title says top six SUVs we can't wait for. And they talk BS. And look, all I'd say is welcome to the shed, friend. That's, uh, that's what's happening here. So don't be, don't be surprised. But we will now move on to our major topic for discussion this week which is a story that was authored by Byron Matthew Darkus and regular viewers uh, or listeners of the podcast will recognise Byron's name. And it's about half-price heroes, affordable used alternatives for the new cars you want. So he's dealt with four, in fact. Um, the RAV4, current RAV4 hybrid, 
Isuzu D-Max just uh, released new model, Mazda 2 and the Ford Focus ST. So the, the basic premise being, we've all been in lockdown in, in various, uh, well, in parts of Australia for sure, um, and thinking about the cars that we'd like to buy, but maybe the budget isn't there. What about something that does the same job in the used car market for half the price? And it is a really interesting premise. And the first one is the RAV4 Hybrid, and he's coming up with a, um, a really interesting alternative, which is, I believe, the, uh, the Mazda CX-5 Skyactiv, which would be from 2012 to 2017. What do you guys make of that? So if the, if the RAV4 is from 37,000 to about 46,000, a used CX-5 diesel is 16 to 22, and would have under 100,000 kilometres on the clock. Does that seem like a reasonable uh, match-up to you guys? I think uh, it is an interesting choice to go diesel. I think that's going to get people in the coin section rolled up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but then, look, the petrol car is good too, and I'm sure you, you know the prices wouldn't be wildly different. It's probably a little bit cheaper for a diesel, if anything. But well, uh, I think it's, Lawrence, a, it's a nice match-up with the less hybrid thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I get the comparison for the diesel uh, versus hybrid in terms of being lower fuel economy versus a, a petrol. But I guess the the irony is the hybrid does its best work in in the city where it's basically electric only most of the time, uh, whereas a diesel doesn't do its best work in the city. You know, you're really going to reap the benefits of having a diesel car like a, a CX-5 when you're out on the highway, which is where the RAV4 doesn't do its best work. So. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison. I understand why it's been made. But yeah, in terms of purchase price, I mean, for a CX-5 Sky Active D, you're looking between, sorry, for a 2012 to 2017 model, you're looking between about 16 to 22 grand versus 37 to 46, uh, 46 for a, a brand new yeah. RAV4. So, you know, in terms of, of value, it's a pretty compelling uh, proposition, particularly with prices going up four new cars, including the RAV4 recently had a pretty significant uh, price rise of about 1300 bucks. So, you know, CX-5 is not a bad secondhand option, I would have thought. Yeah, I, th- I think part of the premise that Byron's putting out there is that it's probably a better proposition than it may have been in the past because mm. cars are proving to be much more reliable and durable than they may have once been. So yes. you're still taking a pretty big knock in terms of the price uh once you drive off the showroom, you're taking a knock in depreciation. But the car itself, even with a few kilometres on the clock, is still going to be reliable um, and in yeah. pretty good shape. So I, I think that's part of the premise he's making. Yeah, um, I guess an important point for all of these ones as well is if you were to buy a half-price hero to make sure that uh, you know, you've know got a full service history and you you know exactly what's going on because yeah, I guess for the CX-5, you'd be expecting it to be pretty reliable, but you want to make sure you're uh, getting a good one, of course. Yes. Yes, it gives an honourable mention to the uh, 2014 to 18 Subaru Forester as well as being another alternative, and that was popular for a reason. But maybe not so much in the fuel usage department, and you do, and that particular one you do have to service every six months, which is pretty annoying. Ah, that's yeah, true. That's a good point. That's true. That's true. Um, I know that the response typically about uh, short service intervals is we want to make sure that the car is reliable in the long term. So. To Justin's point, if it if it has been serviced regularly, I suppose your chances of it um, being reliable are, are increased. Yeah, um, well, if it's a 2014 Subaru Forester, I mean, how many times has it been serviced already if they've stuck to the schedule? About 12. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. yeah, a lot. 
a lot. Yeah, the oil's going to be fresh, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> um, now then, the next example is the recently released Isuzu D-Max, now specifically a 4x4 and a crew cab in X-Terrain uh, mode. Now that's a 62, nearly $63,000 car before you put it on the road. And um, we've found it to be a really terrific option and it's, it's done well in terms of our comparison testing and, and what have you on and off the road. But Byron's putting up for, yeah, half that money, half price hero, 30,000 to 35,000. You can get a 2018 to 2020 Mitsubishi Triton 4x4 dual double cab GLX. Now, that's, yeah. that's a pretty young car. That'll be um, under 5,000 kilometres. That's a pretty solid whack of depreciation and not a bad option for that money. Do you guys agree? Yeah, absolutely. The X-Terrain at the moment has it's quite a long waiting list. So, you know, it is a car that is well and truly in demand, obviously being new, but that kind of flagship variant has proved quite popular thus far. So when you, when you look at a Triton uh, GLX Plus that's only potentially from this year, that's half the price, under 5,000 Ks, like that's, it's a pretty good truck as it is anyway, and that's, that's fairly ridiculous value. And I might suggest, going back to what we were talking about earlier, if it's going to be under 5,000 Ks, you might wait just a few more months and you might be able to snag one that's qualified for the 10-year warranty and, and, and you could be up and away, you know, with a $30,000, $35,000 Triton with less than 5,000 Ks and potentially 10-year warranty if you yes. service it through bits of issues. So that's a fairly compelling offer yet again. Yeah, I suppose so. I wonder if the warranty will drive up used values somewhat. Mm. Um, right. You know, yeah, once you've got that on board, it's a, it's a better proposition still. I, I really Total agree top. with this, the uh, the whole Triton thing. I was looking at uh, the prices of utes a little while ago because a, a family friend was buying one. And Tritons are so undervalued. Like Hiluxes, especially in this COVID time, like the, the prices have all gone up for a lot of a, a lot of used vehicles. Hiluxes are way overvalued at the moment. But Tritons, they just haven't seemed to have experienced the same surge in used car prices. So I think just yeah. generally... This generation's a fantastic truck to drive, but even the one before it is really mm -hmm. similar in the way it drives. It just lacks all the safety stuff, but it's still a great truck. So, you know, if, if you are looking for a Hilux, don't rule out a Triton, I'd say. Yeah, and I, I think agree. the thing with Triton is, is among the big name utes, it's the most value packed, you know. So, again, if you're going secondhand and, and we're only talking potentially two years back, you're getting a pretty ripping deal, to be honest. Definitely. And, I mean, the, the Triton has... A pretty hard-won reputation um, for reliability and, and durability, particularly if you're after a, a, a hard-working workhorse. Um, so yeah, there's that. It's pretty compelling. And an honourable mention to the 2016 to 2019 Holden Colorado. And I think anything with a Holden badge has probably uh, pulled back a bit in terms of its asking price. Um, yes. So that's, a, that's another good option. Now, we then move to the Ford Focus ST, very much a hot product um, and with good reason. But to own one, you're at nearly $45,000 before you put it on the road. So you get all that goodness, but that's a reasonable check that you're going to sign off on to acquire that car. Byron's put it out there that a 2016 to 2018 Peugeot 308 GTI with under 60,000 kilometres on its clock will be between $22,000 and $30,000. So it's at the lower end, half the price of that ST. And it's, look, it's not an old car. It's got 
plenty of wraps in terms of its dynamic performance. Where do we stand on that one? I love this. I absolutely love this comparison. I mean, yeah, the Focus ST is a is a great car, and you know, at forty five grand new, you know, it's it's still a lot of money, obviously. But in terms of a high half price hero alternative option, uh, the three way GCI is is a, is a cracking car. Obviously, people will have certain concerns about owning one, but you know, even at potentially twenty two grand, again with a full service history and all that, you know, you might have to pay a little bit more in terms of maintenance and and what have you. But pushing that to a side, um, great car to drive. You know, you could do worse. Yeah, yeah too true. And I mean, yeah. Peugeot has such a, a back catalogue uh, and such a history in terms of hot hatches and you know the three hundred eight um, in particular. Yeah. Tom? I'd say shh, don't tell people about good to drive French cars because uh, they're <laughs> awesome and they're always cheap and undervalued. And I love this car. Uh, I, I actually recently drove a GT line and even that was good. And that has mm-hmm. the base engine. And you mm. think about how old the 308 is now, like it's relatively ancient and it still drives so well. It has such a competitive ride. It has such a competitive like feel behind the wheel. Like the steering is excellent. The chassis is excellent. Um, all the engines are, are pretty good too. And oh, oh, look, you know, it might cost you a little bit extra service here and there because the parts probably do have to come from Europe or something. But yeah. um, look, they're super fun to drive. So just don't, please don't tell people about them so that well, they go. I mean, oh, the Focus ST is out of Germany anyway. So uh, there's probably yeah, true. equivalency there. Um, and Byron finished up his um, little uh, couple of pars on the on the 308 saying pure joy. So only it was only a few weeks ago on the podcast that we we're talking about brands that were, were possibly on the edge um, in Australia. Um, and Persia does suffer a little bit in terms of depreciation, yeah. but there's an opportunity uh, for Absolutely. people who want, want their half price euro. One other thing about the GTI, the 308, that is, that is so appealing is you can't buy one new anymore. You know, mm. you really want to get into it then, yeah, you would be looking at a used option and, and potentially cross-shopping it against something like a new Focus ST or the honourable yeah. mention, which we'll get to right now, I'm sure. Which is a, a Golf GTI, 2013 to 2017. So yeah. um, that's going to be, what, a Golf 6, um, I seven. would have thought. Oh, it's a Golf 7. For, yeah. Golf 7, because then we got to 7.5. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, so there you go, some good options um, at the half-price hero level. And then... We get to the little car. So a Mazda 2 G15 is from $21,000 to $26,000. So it was facelifted late last year. It's got a lot going for it, obviously. Um, New model. uh, It's very attractive, economical, reliable, all those things. Byron's putting up a 2017 to 2019 Suzuki Swift. Um, And there you're looking at $12,000 to $15,000 for an under 60,000 kilometer example. And I think, I don't know about you guys, I always see the Suzuki Swift as the quiet achiever of the yes. small car market. It's such a quality package, and yet it doesn't get the headlines. It's um, it's really a great car, and that seems like a, a terrific half-price alternative in that equation. Yeah, this is another good one for sure, I think. I mean, the, the Swift is, is not only great to drive, but in terms of uh, value, again, we're only talking about a car that's potentially as far back as 2017. So you looking at something that's probably in warranty uh, for 12 to 15 grand. And, you know, you've got uh, things like SatNav potentially, depending on what variant you go for. So you're not missing out on all that much, I don't think, and, and getting something that's going to put a smile on your face. So 
it's a pretty good option. Yep. Yeah. Last year we singled out uh, the uh, GL Navi with the safety pack as the be- like the best value car in Australia under twenty grand. And I yeah. think if you were to pick up you know a twenty nineteen model year one of those with a couple of Ks on it, it would be an amazing value car. Like, and it's not even bad to drive. Like, it's yeah. it's kind of fun to drive. Everything. Oh, it's got some dynamic ability, definitely um, chuckable. And if you can find to a uh, uh, driven to church on Sunday, you know, example, <laughs> it, it would be a steal. Yeah, for sure. And the, the honourable mention goes to another great option, uh, a 2017 to 2020 Kia Picanto. And I, I'm not alone in having a real soft spot for that car. I'm a big um, Kia Picanto fan. So that is another great option. Yeah, I love the Picanto. I reckon it's a it's a great car to drive again in terms of being such a such a small package. And I imagine prices for a 2017 Picanto would be uh, you know quite attractive, um, particularly comparing it against a, a new Mazda 2. But at the same time, I don't know if I'd want to be hit, hit by a bus in a Picanto. But that's <laughs> yeah. a story for another day. <laughs> I mean, that's that's where pure physics takes over. So, yes, yes exactly. you'd have to be careful in that regard, but that's going to be for any car of that stature, not just the exactly. Kia. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it is it is like quite interesting that, you know, uh, Kia is just committing to bringing a city car here. I mean, what's your only other option in that segment is uh, Suzuki Ignis, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Picanto is better equipped than that car. And uh, e- even if you bought one that's mentioned there, 2017 to 2020, it'd be well under warranty still. So. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah, that's the Kia warranty factor, isn't it? So, yeah, lots of good options there. And it'd be great to get people's thoughts on other alternatives, maybe for those four or some other half-price hero equations um, that have been on your mind. Good to get your feedback. But we will now, thank you, guys, we'll now move to our own garage and cars that have been inside it. And, Justin, um, notwithstanding the fact that uh, Melbourne has been under some pretty uh, strict COVID lockdown measures, you're in a Passat. And you have been using it, but uh, maybe you can give us an update on how it's going. Yeah, so living in stage four uh, restrictions in, in Melbourne uh, means since I was last on the podcast, I'm still driving the Passat because I haven't gone anywhere other than the shops and back. <laughs> uh, but but I did, so I did talk about it last time in, in, in detail, but I, I will mention one thing this time around, uh, which I found quite interesting. So the, the Passat I've got is a, a 140 TSI business in fleet white, right? So it is this much of an executive car as you could imagine. Uh, but the really interesting thing I found in, in Victoria, uh, Victoria Police, quite a few of the cars on, they have on fleet at the moment are Passat 140 TSI businesses in white, marked and unmarked. So what, right. what I found in the near three months now that I've spent in this one car is it gets quite a bit of attention from people that know what to look out for, so to say. Um, and I've had a few looks of people assuming that I might be uh, an officer of the law, which obviously I'm not. But, um, yeah, a few concerned motorists all of a sudden slowing down or exercising more caution than they used to. But the funniest encounter I had was pulling out of the supermarket uh, car park. A gentleman was walking towards the car, and he was most certainly under the influence of alcohol or perhaps something else, and, and that probably was the least of his problems. But the second he saw the car, he started charging at it, ready to kick the door in and everything. He was furious the second he saw it. Um, anyway, there was obviously no altercation or anything like that because I was driving at the time and there was no trouble at all. But as soon as he saw it, he absolutely <laughs> went so, for it. So, so This person thought it was a police car. 
Uh, that's what I gather. That's what I gather. Yeah. And the second he was walking calmly, like I, as I came out of the uh, the car park, I, I looked to the right and I saw him, and he was walking calmly. But the second he looked up and and saw it, he completely changed. Like I said, I'm almost certain that he was under the influence of probably several things and not the least of his problems. But he he was not happy. That's for sure. Extraordinary. It's a little window into the life of uh, life of uh, a person in the police, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I had a similar problem when I had a Vulcan. Um, it was a yeah, very was un, unmarked looking Vulcan. And uh -huh. uh, it was quite annoying when you're on the freeway because as you you sort of come up behind people, they just slow down. Know. And, yes. you know, or, you know, stuff like that, people would watch out for it. And oh, it was quite I, funny. I've, I've often thought how hilarious it must be for police who during the day drive in this magic magical environment where everybody is incredibly mm. well behaved <laughs> they obey every road rule then they get in their own car and drive home and it's complete yeah. mayhem you know absolutely <laughs> the two the two worlds and um, to tom's point having not driven on a freeway or anything for three months i'm really keen to finally be able to drive <laughs> on a freeway because i want to see basically the red sea part i want people right. to be getting out of my lane i want them to be slowing down so i can overtake them and i go yeah. this is why i'm in an unmarked police car <laughs> you're not tempted to do the full impersonation and get you know the the, the light you can put on the dash and all that stuff it is tempting and i have made that joke uh, with a few people before but uh yeah no i don't think it's worth the actual trouble yeah, highly illegal <laughs> Uh, but, all right. Well, that's that's good. Thank you for that anecdote, Justin. And Tom, we'll move to yourself. You've been in a car that's not necessarily a, a brand new model, but it's been in interesting company as well. It's been around for a long time. Um, it was a range of wild track. And uh, the reason I had it is uh, it was being uh, pitched up into a comparison test against uh, two uh, the newest utes on the scene, the, the BT50 and the uh, Isuzu D-Max. So keep an eye out for that. There'll be a review um, off-road, on-road, everything hosted by uh, Matt Campbell and uh, Marcus Craft. So just keep an eye out for that on the site. It's going to be really good. It was a lot of fun to film. But mm. yes... I had the Ranger uh, uh, for the week leading up to that, uh, just to uh, have a drive of it, and um, I was sort of the third driver on that test. The thing that amazes me about it is so little has changed, but it is still so good. Like, mm -hmm. everything about that ute, even when you compare it to newer utes, is you hop in and you go, okay, well, this is, this is nice, but the Ranger is still just as competitive if not better in some areas and and that and that's just amazing to see for a product that's that old and yeah. a product that and it's it's going to have to be because the we know the px has to continue for quite a while uh until it's replaced by the um volkswagen allied platform thing that uh, ford will be doing in the future so um it'll be interesting to see if it, they, they do some sort of heavy facelift or something uh, uh to keep it even more competitive not much has changed for the um the 2021 model year. I think they did a recent update or something um, where yes. it's got an automatic roller cover, which was quite cool. Um, so it's got like a little waterproof button in the tray and that that uh, it's a fully automated roller cover. Nice. Um, nice, yeah. And there's like new alloy wheels and maybe a few small other things, but it, it, it hasn't changed much. And to, you know, still be so competitive on and off the road in terms of comfort, in terms of spec, in terms of like the interior trim is a big one. That That's, you know, usually a killer for a lot of dual cabs um, is you can tell the areas where it's just like, nah, this is a commercial vehicle. But in the Ranger, it's it's much less that. It's, it's much more, well, this is like a passenger car. 
You know? Well, um, it did. It was at the leading edge um, of that transition, really, from from workhorse to much more livable mm. um, propositions. So a- ahead of the curve, but still looking good on that score, obviously. And just yeah. some mail on, on the next Ranger, Tom. Uh, I believe at the moment that it's scheduled to be revealed at the very end of next year. Could even be on sale at the end of very ne- uh, end of next year, but oh. at the latest, early 22, it'll be in showrooms. That's the current plan. So a little bit longer that it's going to stick around, and it has been around for a while, but uh, a new model which presumably is going to move the game forward even yes. more, you know, yes. is, is around the corner, so to say. Well, that's although, right, and, and it becomes the Amarok too, yeah. So Yes, exactly, yeah. that's right. Although there is like a, a, a trade-off worth considering because, um, you know, now that the BT50 has moved onto that DMAX platform, um, it now has less power and torque than it did before. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it'll it be interesting to see if the Ranger can keep its luster when it shares a lot of stuff with Volkswagen, you know. Um, yeah. And it's not to say the Amarok isn't a good truck, and it's, uh, you know... Not to say that when they you put the two most comfortable trucks together in that semi, you, you know, you got on on the one end you got the most powerful with that 580 V6, and on the other end you got you know one of the most comfortable and most like a passenger car in the segment. I wonder what happens when you blend them together, and a lot of people are probably thinking that, but I also wonder what will be compromised. You know, will mm. either of them lose their luster? Yes, that's well, a you... good point actually, because the Amarok, I don't know how much say Volkswagen is going to have and what it got kind of like BC50 and D-Max, right? All Mazda did was put a different front end and some slightly different interior treatments and a different tailgate on the D-Max. Otherwise, it is a D-Max. There's no changes mm. mechanically, so to say. So I suspect it's probably going to be a fairly similar situation with the the Amarok, but I don't... Yeah, it'll be interesting. Things like the ability to have a pallet um, in the back of an Amarok, will that come in the Ranger? Probably not, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? But mm-hmm. um, it'll still have a diesel V6 because that's pretty – it's all but confirmed for the Ranger that it's going to have a diesel V6. So by extension, you would assume that Amarok will be in the same boat? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, if we're talking early 2022 potentially for next Ranger, um, you've got to think about Toyota and, and they'll be heading down the hybrid path. Um, you'd, you'd have to think so. The powertrain equation will be one that will be moved on as well uh, by the time that car arrives, I'd say. Yeah, I think a lot's going to change in the Ute powertrain um, field, if you will, in the next two years or so uh, with hybrid, plug-in hybrid. Yeah. Diesel V6 is proliferating once more. It's it's going to be an interesting and, and pretty fun time, I think. Okay, cool. But the Ranger, for the time being, is hanging in there well. Um, yes. So thank you, Tom. I will just finish off with... The car I've been in in the past week, which is the new Kia Sorento, and the one I've been driving is the Sport Diesel. So it's a 50K, it's a $51,500 proposition uh, before you put it on the road. 2.2 litre turbo diesel, 148 kilowatts, 440 newton metres, which is pretty handy. Um, and all of that from 1750 RPM, 8-speed auto and, of course, four-wheel drive. And there are so many pluses uh, for this car. You know, we've we've done the launch review and uh, I'm really starting to see um, the commentary and and put it in context. It's such a slick design inside and out. It really does look good. Um, I'm sure that's a subjective thing and there'll be others that disagree. But broadly, the consensus uh, has been that it is a good looking car. and I I totally agree. Um, The seven seats, that's been well thought through. Um, It's comfortable. There's heaps of equipment in this car. It's not a small price, but you get pretty good value, I would argue. 
Um, and practicality, heaps of storage and USBs and 12 volts, just that thoughtful kind of big cup holders, things that make it easier for a family to live in a car like that. Um, strong performance, really great safety, all, all of these things that it's got going for it. And then I started to think about the minus column. And look, the, the only things I could really put in there was that it, it's a pretty big beast. It's, it's 1.9 tonnes. Um, it's 4.8 metres long. So it's, it's quite long. It's not immense, but it's quite long. And that can be tricky to park, you know, particularly if you're nosing into a per perpendicular spot, it can be hard to kind of line up the car accurately, but it's got a really good reversing camera, nice resolution, all of that. There's, there are not a lot of negatives um, as far as I'm concerned. And if, if you were considering something like a seven seat Prado, you know, this, this car would be at a, a reasonable discount for an equivalently uh, specified Toyota. I think it'd be an interesting um, equation mm. that, that you'd be weighing up. Um, really, really good car. I think they've done a great job with it. To that point about parking, though, um, yeah, I believe it's the GT line only. You do have that kind of summon feature that Tesla's had for a while yes. now and, and BMW and Audi where you can, yeah. you know, park it and get it to come out. So if you were in a bay that was very tight because maybe people are hugging the lines either side, you know, you, yeah. you can get it in and out in that, in that regard. But, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting how it moves that, the game forward. That. On that score, I'm totally with Hammer Rocks, who said, if the parking space was that tight, there's no way I'd put the car in there. <laughs> it's, it's probably a factor that if you've found yourself parked in, um, yes. it's a great feature to be able mm. to extract the car, yeah. uh, maybe more than slotting it into a very tight space. But uh, point taken, uh, it, yeah. it's got that as well. So I was super impressed for what it's worth. I think it, you know, it's been said before, but it's possibly a turning point for Kia. You know, that it, it really is a sign of maturity of the brand in terms of design and the way it's been executed. I think it's a terrific, uh, terrific product. I've um, hopped into one this week and it's the absolute base model. And I've got to say, it feels luxe. Like right. it is, right. it's a really nice product to be a base model. I'm yet to sort of delve into price and spec and all that, but it, it seems lovely. Yeah. And some of the, some of the styling touches, you know, the treatments around the dash and doors, it's all adds some visual interest. And I know Richard called it out um, in his launch review, the AM station, when you're searching through for an AM station, yeah. it's old school valves uh, that illuminate <laughs> the numerals in the frequency that you're searching for. Just little touches like that uh, really add to the experience. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. But um, speaking of enjoying it thoroughly, it's time for Musk Watch. Okay, so let's kick it off. Um, of course, Elon's been on Twitter. He's rarely off Twitter. And he said, re-watched Young Frankenstein this weekend. Still awesome. Ovaltine, question mark. Now, that, for people who have watched Young Frankenstein, refers to what I'd argue is one of the best scenes in one of the best movies ever made. Um, it features Cloris Leachman and Gene Wilder, and we've got a little bit of vision of it uh, for people who are watching on YouTube. Uh, but if, if you haven't seen the movie, I'd recommend it. And Rogue Cheddar said, Cloris Leachman was always an exquisite consummate diamond in everything she did. And I think he's right. She's great. She's a great actor. But it, puts, it put him also in mind of a Seinfeld exchange, which was Kenny Banyer. And for anyone who's watched Seinfeld, they'll know Banyer as the aspiring comic. And he says, 
Why do they call it Ovaltine? The mug is round, the jar is round. They should call it round team. That's gold, Jerry. Gold. And <laughs> but it's just such a great movie. Gene Wilder, Marty Feldman, Terry Garr, who is a very handsome individual, Madeline Kahn, Peter Boyle, Gene Hackman uh, plays a, a cameo as a blind character, which is hilarious. And, and there was one other famous interchange where Frankenstein, who was Wilder, to Igor, who was Marty Feldman, uh, says, look, I'm a very skilled doctor. Uh, maybe I can help you with that hump. To which um, Igor says, what hump? And there, that's a, a constant kind of gift type meme out there. So I'm totally with the dear leader on that one. I think it's a brilliant film. And also, not just watching Young Frankenstein, he's been playing Call of Booty. He says, Call of Booty, great game, which <laughs> I've discovered is available for the Xbox and PS4. Now, Jerrica, who commented on this tweet, said, retro-style 2D platform game in which you play a health and safety inspector who must evade hordes of horny women who would have their way with you. Fast-paced, raunchy, multi-level action. And then finishes it with saying, just another day at the office. And, and Emma says, sometimes I really do wonder if Elon is okay. And, and I, I think it's fair enough, Emma, to have concern. But there has, surprise, surprise, been another leaked email inside Tesla. It's just extraordinary how these emails leak out of the organisation. Um, but Elon sent an email to Tesla employees saying he has a goal of building 500,000 vehicles in 2020. So Tesla topped analyst expectations for production for the third quarter. Um, and they delivered just under 140,000 uh, vehicles for the third quarter. Um, and that brings them to 330,000 cars year to date. Um, so they need to produce 170,000 in the last quarter, which is a 17% increase on, on the last quarter to get to that 500,000. And the email says, it will be tough but super exciting if we can exceed 500,000 cars made in a single year for the first time in Tesla history. It all comes down to Q4. Please take whatever steps you can think of to improve output while increasing quality. So uh, it's down to everyone in Tesla to somehow pump out an extra 17% um, out of the same facilities. What about Elon, though? Shouldn't he be down there on the floor instead of watching movies <laughs> and playing video games? That's Elon a great point. He should be on the camp bed in the wedding marquee like he was during Production Hill uh, <laughs> a couple of months ago. Yeah, I agree. That would be one move. Well said. So, th but that brings us, pardon me, to the share price, uh, which is $425.92. It was $429 last week. So it's been moving between this band of about $415 to $440 throughout the week. But I was interested to read a story on MarketWatch. Um, recently, they, they did the stock split, of course, a five for one. So that's why the share price is appreciably lower uh, than it has been. Um, and MarketWatch contends that stock splits typically have a short-term focus to con you know, create interest and make the shares more affordable. And that means they become more attractive to kind of transient retail investors, maybe even Tesla owners that want to wanting to buy in the whole thing. But higher price shares attract more stable, long-term institutional type investors who will stick with it for the longer term. Um, and Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway is the gold standard in that regard. So they're seeing it as a fairly short-term, um, narrowly focused, 
let's just get the price up uh, now type thing. So it'll be interesting to see if that holds true um, over time. But uh, with that, I think we have reached the finish line. I want to say thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, Justin. Thank you. And thanks to our champion of operational excellence, antisocial behaviour analyst and nightclub eviction specialist, Mr Pritchard for his Never Say Die production wizardry. Today, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, also available in sober, Fruit Loops boxer briefs and rare as hen's teeth Xanadu edition roller skates. Sam Toucan has never looked better, I've got to say. Now, please pass on the word about the podcast and let us know your thoughts by searching for Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram using the hashtag CGPodcast or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube. But before we go, dropped in on a mate of mine this week and he was on the speakerphone. First thing I heard him say was, I need to book a car service. Obviously, the dealer on the other end said, how about 10 tomorrow? To which my mate said, no, I don't need that many. <laughs> uh...